welcome to the Fat Tailed Thoughts podcast, where we discuss the mechanics and workings of finance, money, and cryptocurrencies. My name's Stephen Dickens. I'm your co-host, and I'm joined as always by my dear friend and fellow co-host, Jared Klee. Welcome to the show, Jared. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. We're Happy. a little bit late recording this, but I think we'll manage to sneak it out. I um, think this so. is the episode we're recording after the Thanksgiving break here in the US. So our schedule of, is a little bit sort of moved around. So we've decided this week to go back and cover a topic that Jared wrote the newsletter on a few weeks ago, which is the size and relative growth rates of the cryptocurrency space. Fantastic topic, really timely. So Jared, Get us orientated. Well, well, Stephen, we, we could cover the, the Thanksgiving letter, which was uh, 1600s era health remedies. Um, I think we'll skip that. <laughs> I highly recommend you go and read it. It's a fantastic take on the current climate and everything that's going on, but I think we'd better stay clear of that one. All right. We'll, 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 we'll stick with the size of the cryptocurrency market, though. I think so. I think so. No, listeners, joking, all joking aside, fantastic newsletter. Very witty take on some of the health things you should uh, be thinking about and comparing back to a, f a few centuries ago. But oh, it's, uh, it's, it's it's quite a lot of fun. And as, as you might expect, uh, m most of those are not uh, are not recommended. Um, but I did manage to dig up uh, just for, for folks that want to go look for it, I did manage to dig up a remedy to what we'll call the Nicki Minaj's Cousins. Uh, we'll call it Situation. Uh, and if you're not familiar, it hit social media maybe three months ago as, as she... Yeah, anyhow, feel free to look that one up. Moving it swiftly involved, on. <laughs> it involves parts that we won't talk about, rather uncomfortable for, for uh, the, the men. Um, but yeah. anyhow. Yes. <laughs> Highly recommend the newsletter. So... As I said, let's get dive straight in here. The relative growth and scale of the cryptocurrency market compared to, I think you picked some really fantastic things to compare it against, oil, gold, and stocks. Just let, Let's just frame up the initial discussion here. What are we going to do in this podcast? What are we going to cover? Just let's get the listener orientated. Of course. So, Stephen, I, I, if you spend five minutes in, in the cryptocurrency world, you will run into what we'll call a, a Bitcoin maximalist, um, a, a quote unquote true believer here. Um, and, and you'll see folks like uh, Pomp, um, who runs a wonderful podcast, but but regularly tweets and, 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 and flaunts uh, quotes like Bitcoin is the fastest growing financial product in history. And, and despite Lots and lots and lots of quotes, lots of folks saying it. I've never actually seen data that bothered to analyze the fact. And it, to me, it seemed a, a bit cultish of, well, if we say it enough and we say it loudly enough, therefore it's true. Um, and yet we, we have products, big products, gold, oil, stocks, where we have pretty robust history. Um, now, I just focused here on the U.S. because I wanted to benchmark this against GDP it's not fair to, to compare something that when the country was a fraction the size it was now, or if we go back to antiquity and try, it gets a, much more complicated. So just taking really the U.S. since about 1800 um, and saying, OK, let, let's benchmark how big is this thing or these things against the size of the country at that time? 
And from the 1800s forward, we have pretty robust data, um, certainly good enough for the, the, the purposes we're going order of magnitude level comparisons. Uh, where we're going to get to, and Stephen, I'm going to jump all the way to punchline, Bitcoin really is in a class of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at it from a growth rate perspective, it's, fr- it's quite literally off the charts. Um, and then if you look at it from a uh, percentage of GDP standpoint, it's not quite in a class of its own, but it, it remains remarkable compared to almost any other asset class you can imagine. Um, but and we're talking directionally. And we're talking directionally here. We're not sort of getting in on the price and the market cap of the asset this this morning. You're talking directionally over the decade plus we've had Bitcoin. Comparing that to sort of growth of of three big sort of asset classes or or things we can track with some measure uh, and and looking at that growth. So we're not just for the listeners. If you go back, we'll put the we'll put the sh- uh, link to the newsletter in the show notes. We're not making price statements of whether it's fifty eight or sixty three k or it's directional statements we're making. Cool. Correct, Stephen, and and for uh, for the historicals, there's good data on on average price uh, in the year, and especially if you take it over a 200 year time point, uh, kind of taking end of year or whatnot, you'll get you'll get reasonable curves. Cryptocurrency, given that the time scale is so much shorter, and and in it's a relatively immature asset, certainly compared to something like gold that's been around for for quite some time. Um, so I took uh, average beginning, middle, end of year, um, basically end of first quarter, et cetera, so that you get some type of average across the year. I tested it doing beginning of year, end of year prices, et cetera. It doesn't make it. It, it, it is so far down the spectrum of, of being ridiculous from a growth standpoint, being ridiculous as a percentage of GDP standpoint, um, that, that they just tell you those types of adjustments don't really make a difference in the, in the conclusion anyways. So now you've taken us all the way to the end. We're, we've, we've managed to condense the podcast into six minutes and 24 seconds, which is unusual if you've listened <laughs> to the first few episodes. So so let's, let's indulge ourselves. Let's make it a full half an hour. Let's go right back to the beginning. Yeah. The first thing you compare it to and, and, and dive into is oil. Let's talk about oil sort of going back to the 1800s and that as a growth, because I think that that was fascinating for me. I hadn't done that analysis, and I don't think many of our listeners will have done. So take us there first and dive us into that market and how fast that grew. So even before oil, Stephen, the, the, the reason I started with oil was I looked at starting with users um, and user adoption. And from that perspective, and really from that perspective only, cryptocurrency is, is pretty unimpressive. Um, Gemini, a, a few months ago, estimated about 21 or so million people, about 14% of the U.S., owns cryptocurrency. Now, we've seen other estimates of, of size, et cetera. Um, that's, that's 12 years after the launch of Bitcoin. Just for, for, for listeners' perspective, uh, in 1993, uh, Marky Andreessen launched Netscape, um, went public, et cetera. Uh, it had over a million users in the first year. It peaked at close to 50 million users. Um, TikTok today has over a billion users, a billion. And it's not even five years old. I mean, it's it's half the age, less than half the age of crypto. 
Um, so what you're looking, what we're going to find is is a concentration here of, despite crypto being quite large, it's it, it's unusual in the story we're going to tell of it's concentrated in a much smaller portion of the population. So you're so you're picking market capitalization value of the asset rather than users of the asset as the growth measure. I think Correct. that's that's a useful distinction to get out of the way. I think I heard a statistic over the weekend. Um, 0.1 Bitcoin or more is owned by 9 million people. Yeah. So that, that surprised me that it was so low. I, I, I'm interested to know the amount of people who own one Bitcoin or greater. I'm trying it, to find that stat. It, 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 fall, it falls off quite quickly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. we, the, the, there is real concentration there. Um, but back to oil. Back to yes. oil. Oil is a fascinating story because it's um, we think of Texas today. Uh, we think of the Middle East, for instance. Um, you actually have to back up. And it's it's a wonderful story. And and for folks that really want to dig into this, I'd highly recommend a book called The Quest. Um, it's a quite literally a history of oil. It looks at it from a, a production standpoint as well as from a geopolitical standpoint. Um, it's really effectively a biography of oil. Um I will warn folks, it's an 850-page book. <laughs> so th th this is... It's not like bedtime reading then, is that what oh, you're Oh, it will me? put you to sleep, though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. But the, the history of oil starts 1859 in Pennsylvania. Um, we think of Rockefeller, which uh, gave rise to Standard Oil, that if it eventually gets smashed apart in antitrust movements. Um, but that almost any oil company you can think of in the U.S. today can date back to your Exxon, your Mobil, which eventually merged, so on and so on and so forth. Those at one go back 100 years. That was standard oil um, at one point controlled over 90 percent of, of oil production in the country. Um, a bit unusually here, standard oil wasn't actually producing the oil. They were a middleman. So they would take the raw product. And they would convert it first into kerosene. So for lamps and whatnot, great alternative uh, to whale oil. Um, later, uh, as the car comes along, it becomes gasoline and so on. Uh, you other refined oil products. Um, but I highlight that because you can imagine that kerosene, while a phenomenal alternative uh, for lamps, didn't drive the same demand that gasoline did, we would see shortly thereafter. Um, by the time we have uh, the car coming along and that type of demand, Texas is now on the scene. Uh, the Dakotas are now on the scene. Wyoming is now on the scene. You've got other states where we get these massive geysers. Um, Texas is probably the most fun of those. Um, Texas shows up in, in uh, 1901. It, it, it was basically a complete guess, and it's, it's a wonderful tale of uh, what you would call your wildcat uh, oil prospectors. Um, and and, and uh, it, it launches at Spindletop Oilfield. It's called uh, the Lucas Gusher. And the story as it goes, when they eventually tapped the underground well, um, shot the oil shot 50 feet in the air. It sent uh, multi-hundred pound steel pilings and pipes flying hundreds of yards away. I mean, it was basically an, ex you got people journaling, it, there was slow rumble and all of a sudden an explosion that was heard uh, in the next couple of towns away. I mean, it's, it's a wild, wild story and, and perfectly- Only in Texas, right? Exactly. Only in Texas. 
they have to come in big, they have to come in strong, and they have to sort of blow everybody away. That's exactly right. So what, what we find is that oil goes through this, this curve, and we kind of get this long from 1859 through the beginning of the car era. It's kind of, it's, it's a slow but steady rise from kind of under 1% of GDP, slowly working its way up to 1% of GDP. Um, as then we get the car, and critically here, Stephen, we get World War One and World War Two, which you can imagine we we discover quite quickly um, that the ability to move troops around is tremendously important as as the theater of war expands beyond Europe into the north of Africa. Um, oil becomes a massive, massive driver. Access to oil becomes a massive, massive driver. Um, of a lot of the, the dynamics that happen on a global scale. If you dive into what uh, how Japan moves out of its country and, tr- and expands, um, again, a major drought. There, there functionally is no oil in Japan. Uh, so World War II, their ability to wage war is highly dependent on going and exploiting uh, uh, the, the South Pacific and specifically Indonesia and the like to go get access to oil. So what we see is this spike during World War II um, both because GDP falls and because oil production rises up to about one and a half, two percent of GDP. Um, oil market, oil annual production as a percent of GDP. It then falls off in the wake of World War II. Simply, GDP is booming. Um, we're using more oil, but GDP is growing faster. And frankly, we're we're discovering more oil, but it's staying. Uh, we have uh, price caps and the like. Then the 70s hit. And for folks that are around in the 70s, if you remember the, the, the gas lines and so on, the price of, the price of oil went through the roof. Um, this is when you have uh, the standoff in the Middle East uh, development, really uh, OPEC coming into its own for the first time. Um, that's kind of a high point. Um, um, so if that's the high point, what was that as the maximum percentage of GDP? 3%. 3%. So, so that it, it's and it's this rapid spike, Stephen. This is not a sustained plateau at three percent. This is a rapid spike, and then it falls off, and it's now leveled off closer to one, one and a half percent. So, if, to summarize, then from the sort of nineteen hundred sort of through to today, maximum three percent in the seventies. Yeah. This is the relative size of the oil kind of market obviously gdp's moving right. oil's moving but the relative compare maximum three percent peaks at one and a half back down today at one percent is that the kind of short summary that's the short summary an important highlight there Stephen. oil is consumed so unlike gold, unlike stocks, unlike cryptocurrency, we're not eating this, we're not burning it, it's not fueling our houses and our cars. So the appropriate comparison for oil is annual production. What's, what's going to change as we talk about the next three asset classes is gold, gold once it's mined and produced bars, jewelry, etc., it sticks around. So we're going to end up comparing to the total value of the outstanding gold as opposed to annual production. So I think that's a great segue. Let's go to gold next. So the first market you analyzed was oil. The second market you analyzed was gold. I think some direct correlation here. A lot of people call um, Bitcoin digital gold. 
you know, the, the Peter Schiff pomp kind of debate yeah. between those two is fascinating. So talk us through kind of obviously gold, probably a lot longer history as a medium of exchange and a store of value. But talk us through the analysis you did here. So I, I again, I stuck to the U.S. Um, for folks that are interested, I'd be happy to share if, if anyone wants to reach out. Um, Britain uh, has publicly posted prices of gold dating back to 1257. See, you guys think you've got history over here, but, you know, we, we've got proper history, right? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> we, I don't want to derail us, but, yes, we've got proper history in the UK. Stephen, I was talking to the colleague telling me the, 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 the home I live in dates back to the late 1800s. And, and he just started, I said it was an old home dating back, and he started laughing. His house dates back to, I believe, the 1400s, 1500s. And as you walk through his home, he did this on a video chat with me. As you walk through his home, you've got the different uh, parts of the home. And you can see just by the fireplaces what era it was built in. And you can see the addition, the quote unquote new addition from the Victorian era. It was like, yeah. <laughs> wild. Yeah. Proper history. Proper, Proper history. history. Yeah. Um, so again, stuck to the US. Um, you, we, we think about the California gold rush, uh, gold's found in 48. We had the 49 gold rush. Um, uh, we actually had some minor, minor gold rushes prior to that. Uh, Georgia, 1829, Alabama, 1830. Um, these are much smaller in nature and, and California blows the whole thing out of the water. But important to point out that actually it's not the first gold. It's just the first big gold that we find in the country. Alaska comes later, of course. Um, what gets interesting in the story of gold is total production versus production as a percentage of GDP. Um, total production, we are actually uh, early, uh, early 2000s. It's, it's since fallen off. We're producing way more gold in this country than we ever have before. Um, in, in the early 2000s, we were producing about three, uh, producing about three times as much gold per year mining as much three times as much per year as we were uh in the uh in the era of the the uh california gold rush what's changed is that gdp has grown enormously so when uh the california gold rush we see this kind of slow but steady total value of gold somewhere on the order of two percent of gdp again remember oil's consumed this gold is cumulative um because it sticks around um, but we see gold basically staying level with GDP around 2%. Um, all of a sudden, the, the gold rush happens. It spikes, and it spikes massively in just a short handful of years, up to about 16% of GDP just shy. Um, I just want to point out here for, for folks that, that are thinking back, imagine waking up one day and finding out that your currency that's based on gold, there are nine times as much gold in the economy as there was before. What that means is that you've effectively created nine times as much money. You can imagine the inflation that comes along with this. This is this is one of the big drivers for why we don't use a gold standard anymore, which is yes, on average over long periods of time, gold production production is steady. But the idea of your money supply being influenced by somebody going and discovering a bunch of uh, shiny rocks out in a new part of the country is not a particularly effective way of trying to run the country. 
And what we're doing now by printing 40% of the money supplied that's in circulation in the last two years is a better option. I think we, subject... we can have that have that discussion, but that's we, we know we know one of them didn't work out well and we're trying a new one. Yeah, we're running an experiment in real time to see whether we can break the fiat <laughs> system because we we broke the gold standard system. So now we're trying to break the fiat system. Why not? But I think that's the subject of a whole different podcast. So where are we? So you talked about the gold rush. You talked about that peak at 16. Where are we now? Where does gold sort of track in, let's say, modern times? Let's say the last sort of 20, 30, 40 years, maybe. Sure. So we, we, see, a, we see a sustained uh, a, a sustained amount, um, rather a sustained 16%-ish, 15 16% of GDP for about 20 years on the back of that gold rush. I mean, more comes out it's, it's simply just in, 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 in uh, slower increments. Um, we see a spike then. Uh, uh, leading up to uh, World War II. Um, again, most of that is driven, in this case, by GDP crashing as opposed to uh, novel uh, gold. There is new gold production, um, but it's mostly driven by GDP crashing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and it then is kind of on a slow, steady decline with some peaks here as we find new gold, et cetera. Um, but we've now leveled off somewhere just shy of 4%. Um, of, of GDP that looks to continue to fall um, year over year over year. We peak peak gold production in the U.S. all time uh, happened in the early 2000s. We're still producing a phenomenal amount of gold in this country, um, but it's it's falling uh, quite rapidly as a percent of GDP. So and, again, that's and that's because GDP is increasing, correct. not because gold productions. Well, Correct. But also as GDP gets bigger, in order for gold to try and quote unquote keep pace as a percent of GDP, we would have to produce, if we, if we have GDP increases of 2% a year, we'd have to have gold production increases of GDP of 2% a year just to keep pace. And yeah. we simply don't have that. In fact, we're falling gold production. So it gets hit twice. So we've leveled off somewhere on the order of, of three, three or 4%, Stephen, but, but um, unless something quite novel happens, expect that to continue to fall. Okay. So I think peaks at 16%, California gold rush, back down to sort of 3 4% as where we are as percentage of GDP. So I, I'd highlight two things in that story. Um, yes, spot on. I'd hi highlight two pieces of that. As a year-over-year -year change, just to give sense of, of folks of the folks a sense of the magnitude here, going into uh, the, the the years of the California Gold Rush, forty-nine, etc., um, eighteen forty-nine, um, the year-over-year -year change, gold increases as a percent of GDP by about eighty percent. I mean, wow. it's a massive jump. Oddly enough, we see that again in the early eighties. Um, that peak that small peak is is dual though one we do have a small a smaller but uh meaningful increase in gold production we also have a massive uh gdp crash this is late 70s early 80s so that we we actually get up to 80 percent increase as a value of gdp again but it's a different story that time it's it's more driven by the gdp fall than it is by the gold production increase but i want okay. folks to keep that number in the back of the head We've get we peak at sixteen percent of GDP value. 
Gold value as a percent of GDP, 16%. Year-over-year change, 80%. Okay. So the final category you looked at was stocks. Obviously, lots going on in that marketplace, particularly in the last sort of 20, maybe 30 years. Give us the view there. We've obviously got some good data from the New York Stock Exchange, particularly that you mentioned in the newsletter. Just give us that for you, the sort of three, four-minute view there, if you would. Sure. It's a uh, stock market has, has changed remarkably, um, both in terms of its makeup as well as its role in, in the, the, the American public. If we go back to uh, the, the era, the, the uh, 1920s, as, as we hear all these wild stories about the stock market then and leading up to the crash of 29 and so on. Um, what's fascinating, Stephen, only about 5% of the country actually owned stocks. So while it's this wild story, it's pretty much isolated to New York, Philadelphia, a couple of the major cities. The vast majority of the country simply is not exposed to this. This is an era prior to 401ks. This is an era prior to IRAs and the like. Most folks had, if they had a retirement savings, it'd come in the form of a pension, which paid out cash. Um, so what we see as a result is the stock market all the way through uh, the 90s even plays a relatively small role. Now, it's large simply because it represents public companies. But as we think about it today, it's much, much, much smaller. So leading up to the crash of 29, the stock market peaks just shy of 100% of GDP, meaning the total capitalization of all public companies, quote unquote, the value of the stock market, if you want to think about it that way, peaks just shy of 100% of GDP. It fails to reach that level again as a percent of GDP till 1995, really in, in the, the beginning of the, the 90s dot-com era boom. From then on forward, we basically, with the exception of the crash of 2008 for about five minutes, we basically never fall beneath 100% of GDP again. We peak um, at the end of the, uh, we, we hit a series of peaks as we kind of in the modern era follow the stock market booms and crashes, you can imagine as we hit the end of the, the as we hit the end of the dot com, we peak just shy right around 150% of GDP and then crashes back down. Then in the early aughts leading up to 2008, we peak again just shy of that 150 mark, crashes again in 2008. We've since been basically on a bull market uh, since the end of 08 with a couple of hiccups. We're now somewhere north of 180%. 180% of GDP, um, total market cap somewhere north of $25 trillion. So it's been a really interesting story. You've got this history of the stock market from like 1900 to 1995, called a, a hundred years or so of history, where we're floating south of 100% of GDP. And for most of that time, closer to like 60, 70, 80%. And then post.com, You've got this kind of floor somewhere at 100% of GDP or higher. And in certainly the last 10 years, we've continued to tick higher and higher and higher, now close to now close to double that. And where we're going with this is, and I think that's fantastic comparison, looking at those particular histories, looking at oil, 
looking at gold, looking just most recently there in the conversation around stocks. You did that. You went on this dis- passage of discovery to l- compare this at these assets and these commodities to where crypto is. So let's spend the last few minutes there. You know, oil one and a half percent of GDP, gold three to four percent of GDP, stocks. You know, now at a, north of one hundred and fifty, more accurately about one hundred and eighty percent of GDP. What was your analysis of crypto and particularly Bitcoin? Obviously, a lot shorter time history. We're talking two thousand and eight, two thousand nine, probably from when we've got first real price comparison data. But but talk us through your analysis there. So I want to summarize the the the, the rate of growth as well, because that's the other place where, where we'll find crypto gets a, a frankly ridiculous. Um, so just hitting on that growth. So we we've got that. Stephen, as you said, that about uh, for 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 oil, we've got that peak at around three percent of GDP. For uh, gold, we have that peak around sixteen percent of GDP. For stocks, modern era, we have, we're peaking and still going up close to one hundred and eighty. But in terms of growth, year over year changes a percent of GDP. Um, oil, right when it comes out, because it kind of quite literally comes flying out of the ground. Um, peaks at about 125% year-over-year growth as a percent of GDP, and then is basically, it doesn't really get above 50 thereafter. Um, gold with that 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 massive gold rush, 1848, 1849, California, peaks at 80% growth year-over-year. Um, stocks, because it's always been relatively high, it, really, it never really gets much above 50. 50% year over year change. And it's kind of, it's much, frankly, far more steady um, than, than the others. Crypto, crypto gets rather interesting, Stephen. Um, gets rather interesting very, very quickly. Um, to summarize, and, and crypto basically doesn't matter. And it's a rounding error um, in terms of percent of GDP, in terms of total market cap through about 2017 or so. Um, if folks remember, as we get that massive kind of the first wave of crypto boom, Bitcoin gets up to right around 20,000 uh, in 2018, and then it crashes. We have the kind of first major crypto winter in the public eye through 2019 and through 2020. Um, at its peak in 2018, we're just north of 1% of GDP, about one and a quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going to come, re- remember, we're going to come back to the growth because the growth here is pretty astonishing. Um, during, as we crash back down, it falls down closer to 1%. In the subsequent two years, basically up through present, we are now, Stephen, north of 7% of GDP. So we're talking about an asset class that can probably trace 12, maybe 13 years max of growth. And we're already at 7% of GDP. That to me, and I read the newsletter again today. I read it previously, and I've read it again today. That frankly astounds me of how fast we've got there. Stephen, to to be very clear, I wrote this letter with the full intent of disproving all the shenanigans I saw all over Twitter, all the crypto maximalists gone. There's absolutely no, every time I hear this time is different, this thing's unique. And you hear, if you spend enough time in the finance world, that you hear that story again and again and again. I want, 
politely, this is bullshit. I'm going to go write a letter, grab the data and prove it wrong. And I, I got to this point and it was one of those jaw on the table moments for me. I, I, the, the growth rate, the percent, I mean, it was wild, Stephen, absolutely wild. So Pomp was right. This is the fastest growing asset class that you'd looked at. So of, of anything I looked at, absolutely. Now I, I want to highlight, because so, somebody I'm sure in, in the comments and listening will go do this. Yes, I guarantee you can go, go find some teeny little nothing asset class as we get talk about growth in a second. That has a faster growth rate as a percent of GDP. Good luck finding one. Baseball cards is one that instantly comes to mind. Correct. But good luck going and doing it and finding one that's also a meaningful percentage of GDP. Mm -hmm. Um, I look forward, by the way, to being proven wrong, but but you rapidly run out of asset classes that's actually large. So let's talk about growth here, Stephen, because it's it's a wild, wild, wild story. So I'm going to completely ignore um, the early ages of growth because it's, it's, yes, in the, in the 2010, 2011, 2012, when the crypto market cap is like $50 million, $50 billion, it, it does it, it shows up as 5,000% growth as a percent of GDP. Reason being is it's going from $50 billion to $75 billion to $100 billion. It's, it's not a meaningful measure. Jump forward to that, that 2017, 2018, that, that when we finally see that boom. All of a sudden, we're, we're on, we're, well, I would say we're we are on the radar at 1% of GDP. That's a, all of a sudden something slightly more meaningful. Um, Steve, as a percent of GDP, 2016 into 2017, um, we see a 900% year-over-year growth. I just want, again, going back to the numbers, we, we saw oil, like the, the, the oil early days when it first comes out, peak at about 120. We see gold in the gold rush peak year-over-year growth at 80%. We see the stock market, even when it's going bananas, peak at about 60%. 900% year-over-year growth. And what's wild, Stephen, this is when it's peaking at this 900%, it's bigger as a percent of GDP than oil was at its peak, than gold was at its peak. Yeah, so I think this, that's... this is any way you measure it, this is absolutely ridiculous and i think i was listening to peter schiff on pomp's podcast actually and i think it we i see a trajectory and it's not that far away what are we three trillion dollars now for the for the size of the total market cap of crypto where we're gonna see that flip gold i think double is where it's got to get to from where it is today and on the growth trajectories that you've talked about that is months, maybe years, a few years away before it flips the size of gold as a market cap, what, which what, is frankly astounding considering the length of time we've been using gold as a, a medium of exchange and store of wealth. Yeah, so my my uh, my ability to predict is rather poor. Um, is, is we don't do that here. Predictions are difficult, especially about the future. Um what, what I found fascinating as I went through the numbers, the, 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 the market, the crash we see earlier one in 2015, the crash we see in 2019, they honestly don't even register on the graph. If you look at the recent growth, um, if you look at the graph, it, it, it'll look small. It'll look small because you're comparing it to these peaks of 900% growth in compared to GDP as a percent of GDP in 2017 and the like. We're still seeing, frankly, absurd um, growth rates. 
I want to be clear for the listeners, that can't continue. And this just simply comes down to a law, law of large numbers. Even if you go from your, your seven, let's assume that the markets go crazy. If you go from your 7% of GDP to 14%, we double as a percent of GDP in the next 12 months. That's going to register as 100% year over year growth. Um, so we, we're rapidly, Stephen, getting into a world where it's big enough that those growth rates simply have to fall. Yeah, law of large numbers. Well, we're 36 minutes in, Jared. I think we've had a fantastic discussion. I think it was good to the, the analysis here. Stay away from price. Look at it as a percentage of GDP was really fascinating for me. I highly recommend our listeners go and check out the newsletter. We'll put that in the show notes so that you can go see. You've been listening to the Fat Tail Thoughts podcast. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Jared Clee. If you like what you hear, please click and subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. Give us a five-star rating. If you've got issues with the podcast, J Jared's Twitter ID <laughs> is Cleebeard. Um, I'm not going to tell you mine unless you've got positive things to say. Um, but please get engaged. Please share this with your, uh, your friends and colleagues. We're looking to grow this platform. You've been listening to the Fat Town Thoughts podcast. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks very much for listening.